This is a special edition of Jacksonville's Morning News with Rich Jones. Fire danger in Northeast Florida with Action News Jack's Chief Meteorologist Mike Burrish and a panel of experts going in-depth on the wildfire threat on News 104.5 WOKV. At 810, I'm Rich Jones, joined in studio from left to right, Annalisa Winter, wildfire mitigation specialist with the Florida Forest Service, um, Chief Meteorologist Mike Burrish with CBS 47 and Fox 30 Action News Jacks, and also John Ward, Director of Clay County Division of Emergency Emergency Management. On the phone this half hour is Billy Estep. He's the Nassau County Emergency Management Director. Last evening, kids are out by the pool. It was a really nice evening. The winds were blowing, and we live in the Mandarin area, so we don't even think twice about a big wildfire that's burning about 45 miles to our north and west, but that West Mims fire is 100,000 acres and 8% contained. And then stop for a second and remember last week, I think it was Wednesday, maybe Thursday, we had that small uh, woods fire near Monument and St. John's Bluff, but that last off a smoke plume during the peak of afternoon drive along the East Beltway, that gridlock traffic. And so that's a, a big picture and a small picture of the danger that Northeast Florida faces this time of the year every year. And about every five to seven years on average, we face greater threats because of the dry, drought-like conditions. And that's why we wanted to bring in this panel of experts to really go deep on the significance of the 2017 wildfire season, talk about some of the steps we should be taking. Mike, as we were reliving uh, just a few minutes ago. 2007 is such a memorable uh, wildfire year because of the smoke and the ash and it was day after day after day after day there were questions about delays at the Players Championship as a result of that wildfire season. It's not that long ago. No, 10 years ago, tremendous fire uh, actually about five times bigger than the current MIMS fire. Just gives you an idea of the scope of that fire. And we had a lot of bad air quality days in Jacksonville and northeastern Florida, southeast Georgia as well, but especially northeast Florida. And the um, impacts can be wide ranging as you mentioned earlier and these fires and Annalisa can can attest to this they can burn for for months and you hope that mother nature really is what gives you an edge and, and of course that means a lot of rain and this time of year we just don't typically get a lot of widespread rain day after day like we do during our so-called wet season which typically begins in about june so we're at the peak of the wildfire season right now and it is tinder dry coming out of a dry winter and winds are certainly a big part and a big challenge i would imagine Annalisa, on the front lines of, of the fire fight every day as wind shifts and directions, that helps to change the behavior, I would imagine, of a wildfire, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It gives it more oxygen, and it pushes it moving out in front of it. New spot fires, uh, it can run. It's crowning behavior. They've had some very intense wildfire behavior up there on that fire. As you have, uh, how long have you been with the Florida Forest Service now? 19 years. 19 years. <laughs> I, I, is that about right on average, about every five to seven to eight years we kind of have this kind of a year? I mean, historically, does 2017 go down as one of the worst in recent memories for the state? Well, 1998 was certainly worse, but we're working that way. So the conditions, if they remain dry and we continue to see a lot of lightning with minimal rain, we could be looking at very similar conditions to that year where we had fire in every one of Florida's 67 counties. Where are we at right now? What's the big picture, 30,000-foot view of northeast Florida and the state of Florida right now? Well, we have 13 active fires in northeast Florida and south Georgia for 104,000 acres, a little bit more than that because the West Mims went up. But um, we're looking dry. You know, we're, we're definitely more fires than we had for the last couple of years, and we're approaching those pretty critical conditions. The drought index is still within the normal range, and so the fire activity that we're having is those fine fuels, the pine straw, leaf litter, things like that, that their moisture content is totally dependent on the atmosphere and the moisture, you know, any rain that we get, and then the wind, so wind-driven fire activity and very dry conditions. So very susceptible fuel bed. Any spark, any ember can potentially start a raging wildfire. John, you guys had a wildfire not too long ago that's 
believed to have started by a spark from a train in Green Cove? Yes, we had the uh, decoy road fire that was actually started, uh, as Annalise said, by those those tender fuels from a spark from a train that's coming down through there. You don't often so. think that something as simple as a spark from a train or maybe a lawnmower spark of some kind can, can ignite? I mean, is it, are we that dry that, that something that simple could actually ignite a fire? Those surface fuels, yes, sir. Obviously, we've had, a as, as Mike said, we had a, a, a very dry and warm winter. Um, so as those fuels have developed, we had an early spring, then we had a, a week-long freeze, and then we kind of had a, a rebloom of, of spring after that. So a lot of those fine fuels, there's a lot of the fine fuels out there, and they're able to burn. We've had multiple fires that have been started by kids on ATVs, uh, lawnmowers, and and then, of course, the decoy road fire with the train. You know, and, and conditions can quickly go from really bad to awful. And Billy Estep with Nassau County Emergency Management, who's on the phone, you guys are actually doing a hurricane drill this week because we're getting close to hurricane season as well. But uh, evidence of just how quickly something like this can get out of hand happened in Bryceville about a month, month and a half or so ago. When did you all know that you were in for a really rough um, uh, uh, afternoon and evening where you were having to uh, evacuate folks? How early on into that fire fight did you all know that? Well, in actuality, with that particular fire, we, um, as the day progressed, we earlier in the day, we'd actually been involved with an active shooter exercise here in the county. And so our units were engaged in that and had to be dispatched from there to the to the wildfire. Um, so they had a very long day, and uh, so but they uh, by about 4:30 or so, it looked like they they kind of had things under control and things were moving in the right direction, and then all of a sudden that wind shift kicked in, which Mike can uh, you know allude to. And um, once that thing, uh, sh- the wind shifted and it jumped the road, it was just uh, off and running. And so probably in that 4.30 to 5.30 hours when we realized that uh, that fire was moving very quickly and uh, we we literally had to start calling in for a lot of mutual aid in order to be able to uh, contain that fire pretty rapidly. Mike, we had winds really strong gusting that afternoon, didn't we? Yeah, out of the... Uh out of the west and southwest at first and then the wind shift was the sea breeze so we have to always take into account what kind of uh, mechanisms might change that wind through the day and then this time of year it's typically the sea breeze and once that sea breeze hit that fire at about 4 30s right uh, that really changed things and caused the fire to behave in a completely different way shifting quickly to the west so we have to take into account those smaller scale um, meteorological things those weather events that can really change conditions with that fire and lisa mentioned the crowning before and i think that's when the top of the trees start to burn is that what you right. mean yes yeah, so that, those can make for really crazy uh, fire behavior and dangerous fire behavior, as we saw that afternoon in Nassau County. And, Billy, you guys had to get people out quickly. I mean, does that, uh, to a certain extent, now, a month and a half or so later, uh, give you a little bit of an advantage to be able to make sure that homeowners across your county are aware that you you got to get your plans in place early and you have to run from fire. You can't necessarily be planning for it and waiting and waiting. We hear that and we see homeowners and property owners do that, but you guys had to have people literally drop everything and eventually evacuate. Yes, I've actually been out there in that uh, that area after the fire and spoken with many of the homeowners uh, face-to-face uh, and the accounts that they uh, they share with me on, on you know, as a drop-and-run type scenario is, is uh, they're pretty startling stories. Uh, but, yeah, we've actually had to implement a, a quick uh, mandatory evacuation for many of those areas. And in actuality, we've had two subsequent fires since then um, 
that we've actually had to implement uh, very localized evacuation orders uh, because of the fact that those fires were so uh, rapidly moving. So we've, we've actually had an opportunity now as a result of this to really push our our message out to our citizens uh, about the importance of, uh, of being prepared, um, you know, helping Annalise and her efforts of, of the FireWise program, as well as the fact that uh, we've um, had situations where uh, we've got, like the Shrimp Festival coming up and that type of thing, in order to be able to get our message out as well. So a lot of opportunity here to uh, to tell the citizens uh, now is not the time to be burning. Uh, in Nassau County, uh, the Board of County Commissioner continues to uh, maintain uh, the county burn ban in place um, and was just renewed actually yesterday for another seven days. Yeah, the individual, if you missed it, uh, the, the way that that Briceville fire started was a property owner who was burning some books in the backyard, not something that is advised, obviously, this time of the year in any way, shape, or form, because it's actually against the law to do that. And that gentleman also is likely to face uh, a suppression cost, which, Annalisa, I would imagine is going to be in the thousands of dollars, isn't it? Yes, it's actually still being totaled right now because we're still going out there and monitoring it. And we had a little bit of reburn activity on it yesterday, so crews were out there with wildland engines as well. But it will be several thousand dollars. That triggers an, an interesting question because that that fire, if you if you follow this on the Florida Forest Service website, shows 100% containment. But explain a little bit further about just because a fire is contained doesn't mean that it's under full control and you move on to something else. Right, contained but not controlled. That means we have a line all the way around it and the lines are secure, but the fire is still smoking smoldering, active, and producing heat. And what happens is we're seeing a lot of reburn on these fires. So the pine needles that are cast off the trees are landing on the hot ash and then starting another fire. So there's still some danger out there on most of these active fires. We're having to monitor and mop up continuously throughout the region because that potential for reburn is so great. So when is a fire truly considered to be fully controlled, fully contained, and an area may be deemed safe? When it's completely cold. So no heat being emitted at all, completely cold. And that's going to require some rainfall because we've got organic soils, you know, partially decomposed organic material underground called duff that's still burning around the tree roots. And you might not even see the smoke, but it's still hot and active underground. Mike, we were talking about this the other day, I want to say, uh, and you already raised the point, the air quality issue. So if someone has asthma or any other breathing difficulty when there's smoke in the air and winds are going to shift today as a result mm-hmm. of this front that slid through, so we may smell it and see it a little bit the farther north and west you get out of Jacksonville. But in some cases, it seems like these are a million miles away from here. You know, if uh, if you don't live in a dense or if you live in a densely populated area, you don't have woods around you, but it really can only take something like the, the fire we saw last week in the Arlington area. That's a small area of woods and it was just two acres I want to say it was very small but that impacted the afternoon commute that had the potential of spreading even further so there are dangers perhaps with these that we don't often think about until the moment comes and then we're living it right it doesn't take a very large area of trees to to be uh, to have a wildfire and to cause big problems We've, we saw that also in st john's county if it wasn't last week it was the week before it was in a very populated area with some homes and the the fire came right up to the the back edge of the yards there and was very close for a time but uh, i'll have to tell you the firefighters first responders they've all been remarkable this season so far in in um jumping on these fires and getting them into some semblance of control before they can get into a populated area. It's been pretty remarkable to me. I'm guessing they're even a little bit higher amped right now because we know it's a, a serious situation this time of year. And um, we had the the situation, of course, in Nassau County a couple of months ago. So um, 
but but the wind plays a huge role in these fires and how they're going to move and spread, and it has a tendency to vary this time of year quite a bit. And today we will have that wind out of the northwest, off the West Mims Fire, should bring some smoke into northeastern Florida today. On the fire lines, Annalisa, what's happening? Are you all monitoring forecasts? Do you have meteorologists who are out there? Are you in frequent contact with the National Weather Service? There's so much that seems like you all need to stay ahead of the wind shifts and things like It's one thing to say, okay, we got a chance for rain today, but every, sea breeze uh, in the afternoon can help to, you know, fuel things. Uh, how What does that look like, I guess, on the fire lines? And as you guys kind of put together a strategy for fighting these things. Right. We monitor the weather very carefully. We have a dispatch center who's producing a forecast for us at two o'clock in the afternoon. That's what we want to know, the worst case scenario for that afternoon when the relative humidity will be the lowest and the winds are the strongest and the fire conditions are the most um, dangerous. So that's what we want to know. And we also monitor sea breezes very carefully. So we get that information from our dispatchers and then also we can get a spot weather forecast. So firefighters can get a forecast for the precise location that they're standing. This is a special edition of Jacksonville's Morning News with Rich Jones. Fire danger in Northeast Florida. Do you have a question for our panel? Submit it now using the open mic in the News 104.5 WOKV app. Raise your hand if you were here in the 98 fire season or 2007. A few hands going up in the room. We all started at a very young age, of course. Uh, but 98 and 2007 historically are some of the worst years in Northeast Florida because of the impact that we were feeling in the metro urban core and not maybe necessarily out in the woods. Billy Eastep, Nassau County Emergency Management Director. You know, as we saw the uh, Bryceville fire, that became a major story in the Jacksonville metro area. We were all feeling the impacts. It, it didn't feel like a, a hundred miles away necessarily that the danger was there. And then when you hear from homeowner after homeowner about how they had to drop everything and they didn't know what they were going to come back to. That's a real-world scenario. How do you make sure that everyone over the course of this fire season and going forward as we move into hurricane season has that personal plan ready to go? Well, that's a very consistent message for emergency management is to make sure that the citizens always are prepared to evacuate um, and, and make sure that they have their, their go kit ready to go. So that's their personal papers. That's the uh, personal homeowner's insurance information. Uh, their personal documentation that's important to them, um, their medications, things that they need, uh, maybe uh, medical equipment that they may need to take with them. So the citizens need to have a, 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 a acute awareness as to what are those necessity items that we absolutely have to pick up and be able to go at a moment's notice and, and leave our home. Annalisa, I would imagine that you probably want to make sure that you continue to preach, hey, you don't have to live way out in the boonies to necessarily be at risk potentially. Everyone should have that plan in place. Right. There's communities here on the south side with these preserve areas that have palmettos that are 10 feet from somebody's back door. So it could take one lightning strike and those could potentially catch on fire and threaten a home. And not to mention a firebrand caught in the wind. A piece of burning pine straw or a palm frond can float a quarter, half a mile and land on your roof that's covered in pine straw and cause problems. So Some of the other efforts that people can take, property owners can take, businesses should be taking now. We'll get into that. We'll look at the long range forecast. That's why we've brought in Chief Meteorologist Mike Birch. We'll look ahead to the rest of May and see what sort of rainfall may be out there over the coming weeks. We'll update developing news from Jacksonville's north side next. WOKV News Time, 830. 
This is a special edition of Jacksonville's Morning News with Rich Jones. Fire danger in Northeast Florida with Action News Jack's Chief Meteorologist Mike Burrish and a panel of experts going in-depth on the wildfire threat on News 104.5 WOKV. Rain for the most part was really hit or miss overnight. Mike, uh, the long-range outlook, late Thursday, Thursday night, better storm coverage, better rain coverage is the outlook. Is that looking good? Right, better rain coverage, far better rain coverage, but again, it, it's it's just a one-shot deal. Uh, that front will move through and we could even have some severe weather, but that means some more lightning. And then once that front's through here by late Thursday night and early Friday morning, we're done with any rain of much consequence for the foreseeable future, probably for many days after Thursday and Thursday night, unfortunately, for northeastern Florida. John Ward, director of Clay County Division of Emergency Management, you had just made a great point off the air about the the behaviors of individuals and property owners after we get just a, a little bit of a downpour, even a good soaker. What's that all about? Well, I think what we see is, is as Mike said, one to begin with, we get start getting these small rain showers through, we get lightning. Lightning causes us a significant potential with the sleepers, as, as Annalise spoke of. But then what we also see is we'll see residents that have... Um, feel that they're able to to burn on some of the more windier days afterwards because we just got rain. And um, so that misbelief that that little bit of rain, although mm-hmm. it just pretty much just uh, dampened the duff, per se, um, it didn't really do much, per se, for the actual ground moisture in it. So really causes us an issue of folks thinking that they can burn or not pay attention when they're burning. Sometimes, John, the headlines go toward, for example, this big West Mims fire burning near the, the state line, 100,000 acres. But you all have had fights that are small in size. But for an individual property owner, if I'm an oak leaf and, and I own a $250,000 home, I'm at risk and I may be threatened. And that's, I would imagine, maybe a greater concern in Clay County? Yes, we have a lot of areas and we work closely with our forestry partners, Annalise and and her team. We have a lot of what's called interface issues. We have a lot of new development or development that's been done over the past 10 years or so that's that's in areas that used to be heavily wooded areas. Fleming Island. Uh, Fleming Island, Oakleaf, Argyle, those type areas were built in heavily wooded areas um, as the developers uh, developed the areas. You know, it was nice to have the trees and small patches of trees in those areas. So as those areas dry out, we receive the lightning um, or other type of events that causes those fires. It's not just the, you know, thousand acre rural areas. It's the smaller, more interface issues that we have to deal with. And that poses us access for our fire units. Annalisa Winter is the wildfire mitigation specialist with the Florida Forest Service. Lightning is such a quick snap event. How are you then able to determine that lightning starts, starts a fire? Well, you can see the tree. You can identify the struck tree. It usually splits the bark and it goes all the way down to the ground. But we have maps that show us exactly where the lightning has occurred, and then our aircraft will go. Our fixed wing will do a smoke sifter patrol and just zigzag back and forth across the district and look for smoke, and then he can zoom in, determine what it is, and get a Latin long, and we can get our fire crews there very quickly. So last evening, where was it? Uh, McClenny, north side, right. we had some lightning? Yeah, from about McClenny to the International Airport. Quite a bit of lightning. So then what happens? Do you all go out today, or are you going out in the next couple of days and after two or three days after a storm passes and lightning is through the area is the danger over perhaps well we're monitoring every day so in the morning and probably in the afternoon again the pilot will do a second flight and then we've got this one district pilot as well so they're watching constantly and we're relying on motorists as well if you see smoke to dial 911 and let us know typically these lightning caused fires are in very isolated areas and somewhat hard to get to so we have to watch for them from aircraft so john ward uh, director of emergency management in clay county if i live in fleming island oakleaf and over the coming days i start to pick up a smell of smoke do you all want to have us call you and let you know what's going on 
on, or should I just assume, oh, that's probably burning over in the Okefenokee somewhere, and I'm just smelling the smell of smoke in the air? What should people be doing? I, I think people should definitely pay attention, monitor the area. As Mike stated, we're going to start to see some of that smoke from the West Mims fire come in. But also pay attention to your surroundings. If you start seeing heavier columns of smoke or heavier smoke in the area other than just that haze, give our folks a call. Um, we bl- gladly come out and take a look at it. We'd rather get in front of it and try to uh, put it out before it becomes something, as Billy spoke of earlier, that can really become an intense fire, as we've seen many intense fires move very quickly this year. We heard earlier from Billy Eastep, Director of Emergency Management in Nassau County, and they had a challenge on their hands with the Bryceville fire. West Mims fire is the one you're hearing over and over again, burning uh, near the Okefenokee, near the state line, currently at 100,000-plus acres. Joined live by Leland Bass, he's Public Information Officer with Georgia Forestry and is overseeing the West Mims fire public information. And Leland, you were telling us off the air, you're on day 19 or 20 in a row of uh, being there on the front lines. How is everyone's uh, uh, energy level, I guess, right now on the front lines there? Oh, good morning. Um, well, we get rested overnight, but the next day is a long day. Uh, 15, 16-hour days is kind of kind of long time to be here for 21 days, but uh, everybody's still got their heads up and uh, still smiling all around, and the guy's doing awesome job, so They've done an awesome job keeping it inside the swamp's edge break. Um, so all we can do is take it day by day and, you know, hope some of this rain comes in. Keeping it within the swamp's edge break, how critical is that as this fire is only 8% contained and now 100,000 acres? I mean, how critical is that uh, to the future of this fire? Uh, that's very critical because, you know, we're here to mainly to pr- keep it in the swamp's edge break and to protect the uh, life and property of the local residents here and as it grows in the okefenokee which is you know it's fire fire is allowed to burn inside the swamp refuge um, it's good for endangered species it's a fire adapted uh, system in there it, it needs fire or it would you know just become thick and overgrown and um, it's just a natural occurrence so to keep it in there is as a feat, you know, for these firefighters, um, it's it's no easy task. Constantly battling uh, just dry conditions, just traveling down the swamp edge break is is a du- is a lot of dust from the drought, mm-hmm. uh, and mix that with the smoke and the day to day working environment and the travel back and forth, you know, to hotels and motels to stay. It's just it gets kind of exhausting, but. I'd They're say. doing a great job. What are the logistics each day? I mean, can you kind of walk us through what it looks like to, to make sure that you all have the right plan in place for attack this day and moving on to the next day? And are you all reaching a level where you need to lean on other partners to come in and assist with all this? Well, th- this has been a partnership from the uh, startup of it. Um, you know, the goal group, uh, National Wildlife Refuge, U.S. Forest Service, uh, Florida Forestry, Forest Service and Georgia Forestry and a, a lot of landowners all the way around the edge of the swamp, they maintain yearly the swamp's edge break, and some property has been put into that, you know, from private landowners to allow us to have that break all the way around it and to maintain it. Um, day-to-day, it, when we come on as the Type 2 management team, a lot of management goes into it as far as logistical needs, uh, travel needs for people flying in from other states. Uh, we've had people here as far as from California, mm. and we're reaching that 
a little over 500 threshold of uh, personnel. So logistically, you know, it's a challenge to get people a place to stay in such a remote area. So guys are having to drive, you know, an hour to stay different motels. Um, we're transitioning, which means we're changing over to a type one management team. What's that all about? Uh, the type one management team, uh, when it reaches the 500 people mark, uh, and it goes over that, uh, they have more management personnel that can come in and, uh, different powers, you know, purchasing powers as far as helping the firefighters out, get what they need. Um, they can come in They're They're the, the, Highest level on our type incident management teams. Uh, they're the most complex. Um, they we will branch out in different branches around the Okefenokee Swamp, and as it branches out, the logistical uh, needs from one side of the swamp to the other. Not necessarily meaning that the fire is um, expected to do anything uh, drastic. It's just that. The amount of personnel and the amount of management needed, uh, we just need to step up to that next level. Annalisa Winter with the Florida Forest Service, a wildfire mitigation specialist. How complex is the logistics of just uh, fighting a, maybe a smaller wildfire, and then you got one like that over 100,000 acres right now? That's got to be really complex, it sounds like. Right, you're moving personnel, you're moving resources, you've got to make sure that the personnel are taking care of their needs as far as something to eat, a place to sleep, that the equipment is maintained, you have fuel, you have grease, you have mechanics, you have, there's just an, a huge amount of things that you have to handle and you have to deal with in order the firefighters can focus on fighting the fire. So whether it's a small fire or large, it just depends on the complexity and the incident management system is able to adapt very quickly and if you need more resources, you call more resources and you get them very quickly. How much is science involved in all, and I don't necessarily mean like biological and all that but there's a little bit more of a formula beyond what i would typically imagine a fire effort being which is see the see the fire put it out you're having to bulldoze you're having to get ahead of it and whatnot how much does that kind of coincide with the actual fight of what you're seeing right in front of your face you know what i mean Right, and then the complexity of aircraft as well, which is a huge aspect to that fire out there. So trying to get all of those people moved around and make all that equipment moved around, and you're just trying to deal with the weather and what the anticipated fire activity will be and where these resources need to be at this time of the day and where they need to be, you know, the following overnight. And just it's a lot of kind of calculating and, and estimating what the weather is going to do to the fire and where the resources need to be at what time. Mike Bursch, what's the weather going to do today? Is it going to help or hurt the cause? Uh, it's sort of indifferent, I guess, today. It will be a wind shift, but it'll be out of the northwest, so that's what could carry some of the smoke into northeastern Florida, but not particularly strong, so that's some good news. Winds at about 10 to 15 miles per hour or so, so that's not... That's not prohibitive, that's for sure. And there will be little sea breeze today because the wind's blowing offshore, so that'll that'll stop the sea breeze from moving inland very much. So it's a northwest wind today. Air will be drier, so that doesn't help at all. And we didn't get much rain. In fact, the rain that occurred missed the West Mims fire last night. And the next chance then is late Thursday and Thursday night. And ahead of that front, the winds will come up strong out of the southwest. That's a bad fire day on Thursday. We'll have really strong southwest winds. The humidity will drop off as it typically does during the middle of the day. And then we'll wait for the round of storms to move in, which could be good or bad. Maybe be some rain, but it also means some more lightning strikes. In terms of that rainfall, are you seeing a big soaking for the area, or is it going to be kind of a, a small enough 
to help? I mean, what are you seeing on rainfall? I, I don't think it's a soaking. It would be a temporary help. There'll be some spots that probably get an inch or an inch and a half of rain, but I think that's localized. And even that, you know, we average about a third of an inch of evaporation every single day this time of year. It's our highest evaporation rate that we're going to have all year long right now. It's one of the reasons it's the peak of the wildfire season. This is just a drop in the bucket coming Thursday and Thursday night. It's better than nothing at all, but it's not a long-term solution whatsoever. And then into the weekend, we cool it down. And actually quite nice if you're going to be taking in any of the festivals around the Shrimp Festival in Fernandina Beach. But again, the fire danger will be back up again for the weekend. Right now at 73 at Jacksonville's Severe Weather Station. Latest from the Safe Touch Security Traffic Center. Coming in from the south side over on the northbound side of 95. You are heavy and slow right now, starting just before the Beltway. FDOT tells us this is because of a crash at South Side Block in the right lane. Emergency vehicles are on scene. Right now you're looking at 19 minutes to get from the Beltway all the way up to Emerson. And from there, you are free and clear all the way into downtown. Making your way through the Arlington area over on the southbound side of the east Beltway, pumping the brakes starting right around Merrill. Heavy and slow all the way down to just before Beach Boulevard. With Jacksonville's most frequent traffic, I'm Tim Tompkins. We'll put the wraps on this fire danger special. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the steps that you can and should be taking right now around your property in the neighborhood, helping out fellow neighbors to stay ahead of the fight as we move into the real peak of our wildfire season before we get into the wet season next. WOKV News Time 851. This is a special edition of Jacksonville's Morning News with Rich Jones. Fire danger in Northeast Florida. Do you have a question for our panel? Submit it now using the open mic in the News 104.5 WOKV app. With the remaining time, we have some real important reminders for anyone, whether you live in a rural area and you're surrounded by trees or the woods, or if you live in a densely populated area. Annalisa Winter, Wildfire Mitigation Specialist with the Florida Forest Service. You can probably tick off the list in your sleep, given that this is the time of the year and this is the, the the year, if you will, every five to six or seven years where we have significant fires in the area. So you'll be out at the Fernandina Beach Shrimp Festival this I weekend. Will. You'll see people out there. You'll be handing out material. What are the things the average homeowner needs to be doing right now to keep their property and the neighborhood safe? Right. Well, I talked to a gentleman yesterday who was out there on the Garfield Road fire whose home burned down. And he said the thing that he had the most regret with is that he did not take all of his important papers and photos and scan these in electronically and put them off of the property. Mm. So think about your family disaster plan. Think about what you'll do with your possessions, what you'll take if you have to evacuate and secure those items. Make sure you have a tape for your insurance company. And then you want to take your family plan. Where are we going to go if we have to evacuate? Who Whose house are we going to? Are we going to notify somebody before we leave? What's our evacuation route? And then prepare your kit, your tools, what you're going to take with you. You want to have a flashlight, batteries, you want to have you know medications, important papers, all of those things. You have to have a plan for your animals, not just your domestic pets, but livestock as well. And turning them loose and, and evacuating is a dangerous situation for everyone, for the animals and for responders. And then you have to leave early. Once you've made a plan, once you've secured your home and, and your home is firewise, if you've got that 30 feet of defensible space around your house that's free from any combustible materials, wood piles, even a boat, you know, fuel tanks, gasoline. Look at your shed. Is the shed close to the home? Is there vegetation up close to the shed? You want to clear all of that flammable native brush, saw palmetto, gallberry, pine straw, leaf litter, all of that accumulates on the house, in the gutters, on the decking. Clear all of that back. 
secure your home, have a plan, know where to go, and then enact that plan and evacuate before told if necessary. Have your situational awareness about you. When the fire's approaching, get out of there. Let firefighters have a safe place to work, knowing that you've taken those preventative actions ahead of time. John Ward with Clay Emergency Management. That sounds a lot like a hurricane plan, but the only difference is you got to run. you got to drop everything. Hurricanes, you can maybe have two, three days of planning to kind of situate, but you got to drop everything when it comes to fires. Yes, obviously, you know, the, the family preparedness kit that Annalise spoke of is pretty much the same. We want you to have your plan in place. Hurricanes or storms, we generally have some time to monitor and warn you that we're going to be doing an evacuation or we're going to be opening shelters. Wildfire is very quickly. Drop what you're doing, grab your stuff, and leave when you're told to leave. Mike, it's an important reminder. We all need to make sure that we're firewise. Just as uh, much attention, maybe the headlines will get hurricane season. We don't often talk about fires until they're happening. Having the plan in place is critical. That's why I like to call it just a weather kit or storm kit or preparation kit. It's not just a hurricane kit or hurricane preparation that makes you, though, prepared for most everything that might occur. Uh, it, it could be a wildfire, it could be a hurricane, it could be a lightning strike, it could be some other kind of natural event that really wreaks havoc in your everyday life. And if you're prepared, it is so much easier, so much better to deal with if you're prepared before, during, and after that potential disaster and communicate it with the entire family, including the kids in your home, so that they're not panicked right. when and if this event occurs. Real important. Leland Bass, Public Information Officer with Georgia Forestry. Thank you, and keep up the great fight on the front lines. Annalisa Winter, John Ward. Mike Burrish and everyone else who's been here for the last hour, thank you. If you missed any of our fire special, you can go back in the WOKV app and listen back to it. Give us maybe a half hour or so. Rush Limbaugh follows Jacksonville's News at Noon, WOKV News Time, 8.59. Partnerships can be a wonderful thing, but sometimes good partnerships go bad. When that happens, people together achieve less than they could alone, or so they believe. Marriage is like that, but it's also much more. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.